disruption zone. Opportunity lives where the status quo dies. Talking to the greatest innovators, disruptors, and off-the-wall inventors, we can scrounge up. You laugh, you'll learn, you'll be inspired. Now, here are your hosts, Leland Conway and Cameron Mills. It is the Disruption Zone. I am Leland Conway. Fun conversation coming up with Representative Jason Nemus. We start talking about comparing tax rates in Colorado to Kentucky. As, as you know, I moved to Colorado. But then we dive into the governor of Kentucky's complete failure to provide actual data for why he makes the decisions he makes regarding handling COVID. We also dive into the vaccine debate and more. So this is a fascinating conversation. I think you're going to love it. Right now, though, I do want to thank our sponsor, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops for their awesomeness. Um, I truly believe in this business. They did our kitchen, and I think it's the reason. It's one of the reasons why our house sold so fast. It sold in less than a day. Um, obviously, we had a beautiful home and a beautiful piece of property and a high-demand area, but that kitchen, the way it looked, made it show so well. I'm confident it's part of the reason why it sold fast. That's why I want you to go to Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. If you're looking for your dream kitchen and you're staying for a long time or you're flipping a house or whatever, these are the guys that can help you. Three designers on staff, George, Michelle, Kelly. And I encourage you to just go by their showroom at 6200 Hit Lane and visit with those designers and look at some of the examples they have to give you ideas for how your 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 kitchen could look. If you're a contractor or a do-it-yourselfer, they've got affordable, high-quality cabinets in stock, whatever you need. It's LouisvilleCabinetsAndCountertops.com, 6200 Hit Lane in Louisville, Kentucky, or 502-930-3304. And now, the conversation with Representative Jason Nemus. Yeah, uh, we were just talking off the air, uh, Representative Jason Nemus, about uh, taxes in Colorado versus Kentucky, because a lot of people know that, listen, that I moved to Colorado. Um, certainly, Kentucky will always be home, and I still spend a lot of time in the state because I still um, I still uh, am connected to the state. So, uh, shameless plug, you can hear me on WGTK, 790 AM, The Answer, every day in Louisville, uh, and every Saturday and Sunday as well. Literally every day, seven days a week. You can't get rid of me. I'm like that little uh, ear bug, you know, that song that won't stop replaying in your head. Uh, but we were talking about taxes, and, and you had asked me, um, and I thought it was interesting that I lived in Oldham County when I was in Kentucky, and I paid probably, I, I overstated it, exaggerated a little bit when we first were start talking, but I'd say on a house about a third less valuable in Kentucky as the one that I have now, I was paying slightly more property taxes than I am right here. Now, Oldham County has clearly the best schools in the state of Kentucky, uh, and I always felt like I got what I paid for. But here we have very good schools as well. We have great infrastructure. We have a great police department. Our mayor in Colorado Springs didn't put up with any of that crap with breaking windows and throwing bricks and stuff. Um, and so I feel like it's kind of interesting how in a, t a state that's tagged as a blue state, um, in order to raise taxes on the taxpayers in Colorado, they have to put it before the people. So I would love for Kentuckians to have that option, Representative Nemus, to be like, no, Frankfurt, you can't raise our taxes unless you explain adequately why. <laughs> you, you know, that's really interesting. I wonder, yeah, Colorado, I think we think now of it as a blue state, but it hasn't been a blue state forever. Right. Um, and even recently. So I wonder if the, that Taxpayer Bill of Rights was uh, passed when it was, uh, when it was a red state. And, it was. You know, Kentucky, obviously, is... And Kentucky has been historically a blue state, and now we are very strongly a, almost a one-party red state. Right. And so maybe it's time for us to uh, do a little copy and paste there from you go. Colorado and do bring some it things. Kentucky. Yeah, do some things. Like, That's right. I, I'm surprised. I always tell people, I'm like, I'm surprised. Yes, it's a blue state, and it's a blue state because of Boulder, Denver, and Aspen. That's it. 
You get right. outside of Boulder, Denver, and Aspen, and the whole state is red. I mean, it's cattle ranchers and cowboys outside of those big urban areas, right? Yeah. The problem for Colorado is, like a metastasizing cancer, Californians are bailing on the cesspool they created, and they're going to places right. that are quasi-similar in terms of beauty factor and weather factor, um, at, but they're bringing their crap pile with them, and that's what's happening that's, in Colorado. Right. Yeah, and they're moving to the cities. Yeah, that's what's happening in Georgia. Yeah, that's what's happening in Georgia, and that's what's happening in Carolina. That's yep. what's you know happened in Florida for a long time. Yeah, no doubt. Um, but yeah, once you get outside of of Denver, Boulder, and Aspen, the the state is pretty red. And actually, I was surprised at how great our gun laws are here, with the exception of the magazine limit, which is fifteen. Um, Wow. It, uh, yeah, it's ridiculous. I hate magazine limits, but it's an unenforceable limit. Like they can't, they don't know. Well, mag, the, the problem is, yeah, that's right. It, but magazine limits, they're they're, they, they're nonsensical, and they're made by people who don't right. obviously don't shoot guns, right? Because they don't they don't do anything. Mm. You know, people think, oh man, you shouldn't you shouldn't have more than ten or more than fifteen uh, uh, rounds in a magazine. But it, it, it's not like it's it takes a long time to put a new magazine in. It takes right. literally less than a half of a second. Right. So it doesn't it doesn't protect anyone. It makes liberals who don't know anything about guns, I guess, feel good about themselves that right. they've done something. But it has no consequence, no no positive impact. And it, it you know so it, it just doesn't make any sense. Well, I do want to mention yeah. uh, we were talking offline. Kevin Brancher is is uh, introducing a bill uh, back to the taxpayer bill of rights kind of stuff. Okay. That would make um that w- that would say if if the School boards tried to um, increase taxes by more than four percent. Obviously, last year they increased it by nine percent. Then that would go directly to the people without any requirement for a petition to recall it. Okay, so I, I like that. A good, good step forward. Yeah, um, that's that's great. In fact, I'll as soon as we get off here, I'll text him and get him on here because that's the kind of thing that I think Kentuckians need to get behind. And I think we can celebrate pushback today. I want to talk about the information and the data that the governor has given you. That's the reason why I asked you back on. Uh, regarding COVID right. shutdown regulations. But I think we have a moment to celebrate here um, because Governor Bashir has announced that uh, as of Monday, as of this week, um, restaurants can reopen again at 50% capacity. Now, I might have some issues with that capacity, but the point is he clearly is bowing to pressure right. from the restaurant industry, whom he didn't call before he shut them down, and from people, and and I just would love to see him step to the podium and say I was wrong. I would love to see that, but I'll take the win. That won't happen. Yeah, right. Yeah, I wish he I wish he would, but that won't happen. But th- this governor, you know, he's 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 taught us a few lessons about who he is in the last year. A number of lessons. One is he goes way too far. Mm-hmm. Uh, two is he doesn't follow the data. He just follows what he thinks the data is. He goes by hunches. Right. Um, two, he's very. Th- another thing, he's very thin-skinned, and he doesn't work with people like associations, like restaurants. A perfect example why that's important, Leland, is he shut them down on Wednesday, or on Friday, but he told them on Wednesday initially. Well, that is the worst thing you can do for the industry, right? If you tell them on Monday, right. then they don't inventory up for the weekend. They've lost thousands and thousands of dollars. Right. So if you're not going to tell them in, in enough time not to order the product, then what you need to do is let him go through the weekend. And now, when he's doing a reopening, he's reopening them on a Monday. Right. If it's okay to reopen them on a Monday, why not reopen them on a Friday and let him have the weekend? Right. Right. To, to make profit and, to, and provide. So that, <clears throat> that's just something that he that he um you know he's just not interested in working with other people, and uh, it it uh, it has consequences. He's yeah. not. No man knows everything. Yeah. Uh, and certainly our governor doesn't know everything, and he should be working with people. And you know, but 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 the lesson that we've learned, the biggest lesson we've learned is. He does succumb to pressure. Right. 
He did it when he shut. We were the only state in the country that shut down chiropractors. Right. We rose all kinds of heck, and he succumbed to pressure, and he opened them. Right. Now, he never should have shut them down in the first place. He did that with outdoor volleyball. He's done that number a number of times in the most recent time is this restaurants where a number of Louisville restaurants got together, and they said, we're opening on the 14th no matter whether you extend this thing or not. Right. And he didn't want that fight. He would have lost, uh, both in the public uh, public mind and in probably in the courts. And so he uh, relented and let them open back up. At this at a time, by the way, where yesterday we had the most cases of COVID, I think, in the history of Kentucky. Right. So it's not like he's he's not like he and he tried to declare victory, by the way. But it's not like um, the situation is different now than it was two right. weeks ago, three weeks ago when he did it. Right. He's just relenting to pressure. Well, and I think I think it's a good thing, good point here to point out really a failure of functional leadership. Because here's the thing. There's nothing wrong with being wrong. And there's nothing wrong right. with taking this virus seriously. And a good leader, That's right. because what you've done, and I noticed last night when I put up on Facebook that the governor had made this announcement, immediately a lot of the comments were, well, now he's all over the place again, right? And here's the functional failure of that. A good leader needs to explain the moves that he makes. And he needs to explain right. why he made the moves that he made. So basically, by just going, oh, okay, you guys can open now, but as you just pointed out, the data shows that the numbers are still high, people are completely confused by what exactly it is this guy's using as a bar for what he should be doing, for his actions. If you come well, he's out... not using anything. Right. right? I, I know, but I mean, if you come out and you simply say, guys, I was wrong, this is still serious, right. here are the ways we need to attack it, but I was wrong about restaurants, so here's why. You know what I'm saying? And make that explanation because he's got a bunch of people right. that are against the anti-maskers that were hating on the restaurants that are now going, well, now what do we do? Right? Right? Because because they were just right. following his brigades. And then the other side, everybody's like, see, we told you you're inconsistent. It's a total failure. That's right. And and you can't ask questions because he attacks. And, and yeah. we, we know what he was not going on. He was not going on data mm-hmm. because we requested it for months. You've got it. You, yep. their, their response to me, number the third question I asked was, you know, tell us where the spread's coming from. And he didn't respond with any, with not one bit of data. He responded, right. they responded with, uh, you know, with just, with just accusations. For example, the first one that they responded to was, I, my question, just so the audience knows, was, Tell us where the spread is coming from. Is it coming from churches, coming from restaurants, coming from schools, coming from in-person meetings at homes? Where is it coming from? You asked, by the way, specifically, you asked specifically, what does our contract contact tracing program tell us about where the spread is coming from? Yeah, we're spending tens of millions of dollars for that data. Right. And that's what that's part of what the data is supposed to supposed to give us. So, yeah, tell us what it says. Right. And his response, if you look at look at the first one is response on churches. Yeah. He said a lot of old people go to churches. Yep. A, lot, a number of them aren't following the rules and they still have potlucks. Right. Give me a break. <laughs> I mean, is, are we, is that serious? Right. You're trying to interfere with my First Amendment rights because there's some old folks that go to church and they still have potlucks? Right. <laughs> well, on. and it, that was. It's I, laughable. In reading. Nothing to do but laugh at it. Right. In reading it, it was one, two, three places of worship, mostly churches, social events and gatherings, business workplaces. I'm sorry, Governor, that's not data. That's essentially everything. What what they what their right. answer when you said what does our contract our contact tracing tell us are the places this is being spread? They responded everywhere, which doesn't right. answer the question. Then why can I go? Numbers. Right, with no numbers, no data, and it doesn't answer the question. Then why can I go to the gambling house and do the slot machines, the right. historical racing slot machines, but I can't do bingo and I can't do I can't go to a restaurant. 
Yeah, and I planted that question with the reporter at one at his four o'clock daily hour daily variety yeah, show. Yeah, and uh, and he <laughs> right, and he yeah. attacked. He attacked. He, he said, he, he, and I'm not kidding. He said, you can continue to ask questions, and this was directed at me. I know you can continue to ask questions and think the earth is flat if you want. <laughs> now look, the people, the the people that I re, the people that I represent who are trying to make a living running their restaurants, who who put all their investments in there. They're not flat earthers, buddy. Right. And I'm not asking the question for myself. Right. I own a restaurant. I'm asking the question for the people that I represent. And to call the, those people who have put everything on the line or just trying to feed their family and their employees' family, to call them flat earthers, it just tells you who Andy Bashir is. It's one yeah. of the lessons we've learned. He's very thin-skinned. Right. All we want to do is make sure we get right um, decisions, correct decisions, based on data. And like you said, you can make mistakes. We get it. We're on the fly on a lot of this. But get, get the right decision made, and then the second thing is to get compliance with those decisions. Yeah. The best way to get compliance with freedom-loving Americans is to make the case. Right. He's not made the case. I asked him the question directly to make the case, and he just threw a bunch of uh, you know gut, gut responses back at me. There was no data on the question of what does contact tracing program tell us about where the spread comes. Well, the, the we flat, have that information. The flat earther response was the consummate straw man um, because he was basically saying yep. – you're asking me a question. I don't want to give you details. Therefore, you are X. And it, it was it, yeah. it showed, frankly, I don't mean to be mean, but it showed a lack of intelligence. I mean, because it's like if you can't figure out how to define what it is that you're actually making, you know, the decisions that you're making, and then explain it to the people that you're supposedly leading. But again, keep in mind, he's never called the legislature. He's never called the restaurant association. He doesn't. He never called the churches prior to sending state police to him. I mean. You know, th- th- that's the way and he has and led. And it's worse. Right. That's right. And it's worse, Leland. What's the most problem problematic area of COVID? We all know in, in the United States, 40% of our homes. deaths come from long-term care facilities. Yeah. In Kentucky, it's two-thirds. Yeah. Two-thirds of our deaths come from long-term care facilities. If you talk to the head of the um, Nursing Home Association, you know what she's going to tell you? They've not been included. Wow. How in the world right. can you have COVID where two-thirds of our deaths are long-term care facilities? And you're not talking to their association. Yeah, it makes no sense. No sense. So when we come to the general come into session in January, we're going to infuse that reason. And we've talked to them, and they've given us a the list of what they think is helpful. And they're going to, you know, we're going to try to get them everything they've asked for. Right. That's ground zero. That's what we should have been doing from the beginning. Not trying to shut down areas that there's no evidence. Right. That there's the spread. And if you're going to have, and, and again, like you said, it's so arbitrary. I can't go to church, or I, I do go to church, but only because the court said that his, his uh, <laughs> edicts were unconstitutional. Right. But I'm not. He doesn't want me to go to church. He doesn't want me to go to restaurants. But I can go to strip joints and I can go gamble. Right. Come on. Right. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Um, well, if they're wearing pasties over way, their I mouth, I don't go to strip joints. But I said I could. Yeah. If they're wearing pasties over their mouth and nose, it's like a it's like a pasty mask or something. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I, I, don't <laughs> know. Right. I don't know. if that yeah, works. I, I guess that. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Just, so I was looking at the data that they sent you. Um, there wasn't any. But one of the things that I thought was interesting was, uh, first of all, the question three, which was what you were talking about there, where does the virus occur? And they essentially made, they basically gave you three opinions about where the virus occurs. And they were right. sort of carte blanche, you know, places of worship, social gatherings, and business places. Duh. All right. Okay, so it, um, based on the logic that they gave you, we should literally shut every single thing down, including grocery stores, which is dumb. And everybody knows it's dumb. But the next question, the fourth question you asked was, can you get some information on comorbidities for those who've died? Um, mm-hmm. and, and this is a very important question. And, and I think what's stunning to me 
The response was, quote, this information is not currently available with the format requested. This is currently being compiled and will be available in the upcoming weeks. The fact that we don't have that, we know that the vast, vast majority of people who die with COVID have major comorbidities. In fact, a recent study that was pulled from the Internet because it went against the mainstream narrative, but it was 100% factual, was that we, we, we have not experienced a rise in total deaths this year. Even with COVID, we haven't re- experienced a rise in total deaths. What that means is people who would have died on average of those comorbidities over the course of the year, whether it be flu, pneumonia, uh, lung disease, heart attack, diabetes, et cetera, they're dying when they get COVID. Now, I'm not minimizing that because if I can get six more months right. with my grandma, I'm, I'm all in. The point is That's right. there aren't a huge number of increase in deaths because COVID is replacing other types of deaths that would have taken people. Now, the reason why this is an important piece of data is because that helps us understand how to treat it because we can exactly. we, and, and who yes. to isolate. That, that's exactly right. So the third question was about how do we, you know, what do we shut down and, and try to keep the spread from occurring within the community? The fourth question, arguably the most important question, was just what you said. What, what, what comorbidities do we have of people who have died, which enable us to better attack the problem? If you were to have a war room and, you know, everybody, hopefully your audience knows what the war room is where, where, where decision makers come into this room and they talk things out and they've got data all over the place. Right. You would have a you'd have a data board, right? A war room yeah. board. Right. And this piece of information, what are the comorbidities? It ought to be in the center yes. of the board. Yes. Highlighted in different in different color. And we don't even have it. Again, one, they should have it. Number two, this also highlights the importance of working with people outside of your major, your inner circle. Yeah. Because we think it's important. We've asked the question. Now they they evidently think it's important enough to compile it now. They should have done it before. But also, Leland, my first and second questions, if you go back to those, my first question was, what is the overall mortality rate in Kentucky over the last 10 years, 10, 11, 12, 13, all the way up From to 2020 yeah. by a month? They, they've given me that. And then the second question was, what's the mortality rate for the top 10 non-accidental causes since 2010, every year since 2010. They've given me that information. Two really quick points. Number one, in the non, excuse me, <clears throat> in the non-accidental causes for the last 10 years, flu and, flu and pneumonia has been in the top 10 every year. It's not in the top 10 this year. Now, I don't know if it's number 11 or I don't know if it's number 30. Right. So I've got a follow-up question. But I find that interesting. The second thing I think that is interesting is of the top 10 non-accidental causes, the death in Kentucky is lower than it was in 2019. There isn't a spike of the top 10 non-accidental causes. Of the overall mortality, I think there is a little bit of an increase, nothing more than, than, than you know, growth from 17 to 18, 18 to 19, 19 to 20. Right. You get the point. But of the non-accidental causes, the death rate or the deaths, not death rate, excuse me, raw deaths, are down from 2019. I think that's interesting as well. Yeah, so that kind of that kind of goes back and makes the point of the, the, artic- or the article that I was talking about, right? I mean, essentially you're trading – a type of death. And what that means is, and again, I'm not, you know, people are going to accuse me of saying, well, again, you're, you're minimizing. No, I'm not minimizing the death. I don't want you to die any number of minutes earlier than you would have otherwise. But it's an important number because it helps us know who to isolate. And if you know who to isolate, the rest of us can get back to business and we can prevent the massive death and carnage that's being created by the so-called cure of the disease. And, and this is this is the problem with the entire country, basically, from the get-go of this virus. And I understand the first three or four-week shutdown. I understand that. You know, we had to figure out, get our heads around right. it. 
But there's no earthly reason why after three or four weeks we knew what to do. And that was to let everybody who's healthy go back to their business and let those who are vulnerable, let's keep them home and find ways to isolate them. This is crucial because if you look at the if you if you look at the amount of we don't have specific statistics on on suicide yet because they come about two years behind. They lag about a year to uh, two years. But we do have an enormous amount of anecdotal evidence from people who work in dealing with suicide that the rates of attempts have doubled, that the the um, the rates of actual suicides have gone up exponentially. And we do have one piece of data, and that is that the number of people who have thought about suicide and admitted it has gone up by some 40 to 50 percent. Those are real numbers. Well, we also and we also know this is from the CDC published about 10 days ago that children between 7 and 11 are are presenting to the emergency room for mental health issues. Right. 34% increase. And we all and from 11 to 17 it's over 50% increase. So we know those things as well. So we do have hard data. And 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 you know, why is it so important that we have this information? As you were saying, we make better choices. Mm-hmm. We get more compliance. But it's not it's not just that we're trying to let people run their lives and have and have and have the liberty that they're entitled to and to have the business so they can pay for their, you know, they can put food on the table. Yeah. It's also so we can know how to address it and know what we can do. For example, that would enable us, if we better understood it, to actually follow CDC guidelines and open our schools. Yeah. So we can we can combat these types of things, that it, these negative consequences that are occurring to our to our kids. And I find it interesting that Bashir talks about follow the data, follow the data. Let's just, it's, it's all about science, no, no politics. But the one thing he's not following is open the schools. <laughs> right, and, which CDC where CDC suggests yeah. that we should we should be doing. Yeah, absolutely, and not only follow the data, the follow the data he's not giving you, but yes, yeah, it's open the schools. It's so ridiculous. Um, it is like it is very much like from the beginning of this. The way we've handled is we had a patient come in who you know had a uh, tumor in their arm, and we said let's amputate the leg because what we're doing is clearly as we go back to the beginning of this conversation what we're doing right now is clearly not stopping the virus from spreading right we know that by by the governor's own decision that we're going to reopen restaurants to 50% we know from that very fact alone that and and as that is juxtaposed against the highest number of cases yet that's telling you that whatever we're doing is not working okay and then right. we're also going to kill the economy that's the problem that I have with this. We are, we, are, we, are, we are buying into this notion that our solution is a solution at all. And it's not. When the solution is obvious, one, we're all going to get COVID at some point. So we need to start talking to people about getting a better immune system and strengthening their immune system. But two, again, I'm just going to go back to this. Go about our business if you're young and healthy and deal with it. And for those that are elderly, let's isolate them and keep them safe. That's the best we can do because a virus is a virus is a virus and humans have dealt with them for all ages. That's not me being insensitive. That's me just telling the truth about humanity. Right, and we've, we've, we've done this type of thing, and COVID is very serious. I'm not going to minimize it, and you're not minimizing it. No. But we've done this thing for a long time. We know when you have a flu, when you have a head cold, stay home from work. Don't come to work. We've right. known that since I was a ba- baby or way right. before then. Right. So if you have symptoms, stay home. And when I'm out and about, because we know the virus is out there and we know it's serious, I need to be wearing my mask. I need to be staying away from people. I need to be not shaking. I'm a big hugger. I don't know. I can't be hugging anybody. I can't be shaking anybody's hand. You can't be doing that. We know these things. <laughs> can't be doing that. That's right. My goodness. So we know we know these things. So let's take care of ourselves and take care of other people. But part of taking care of other people 
is making sure that we don't overreact right. in, in shutting down things that where it's not going to be not going to be helpful. Gyms is a perfect example. Yeah. Why would we have restrictions on gyms? Right. There's no evidence that there's spread in gym. Right. And in fact, we want more people to go to gyms. Right. So then, because there is evidence that the healthier you are, the more the more you're not going to be harmed, even if you get it. Yeah. Hence so the, it's, it's just that that one's backwards. Yeah. So, you know, it's like we were shutting down outdoor volleyball. I've never played outdoor volleyball. Not my <laughs> thing. I'm a baseball guy. Right. But. Why would we? Why would we tell healthy adults now nah, can't be playing outdoor volleyball? Yeah, it, it, it just does. The, the decisions are so arbitrary and nonsensical that it makes people who want to do right question everything. Yeah, and so it hurts the overall effort of compliance, which is what we're after. We want people to comply with the good behaviors that that we all know we ought to be doing. Well, and and this is this kind of you just brought something up that makes it interesting. One of the things that's so dividing, um, about the way this is all being done is that we have two camps and anyone who questions how we're handling this is put in the anti-masker camp. And I'm not anti-mask, by the way. I think we absolutely should wear masks in public, not outside, but anytime we're in public inside, right. we should absolutely wear masks. And I'm totally on board with social distancing. I don't want this or any other book. Exactly. Okay. Um, but, right. but that being said, um, you know, I, I look at this and I, I wonder how are we, the people are divided into these two camps, and you know right. I, I made this point the other day. Pardon me if I'm repeating myself, but if you want to know why, I had a friend that was uh, saying if everybody would just wear a mask, everything would be okay. And I'm like, do you understand why anti-mask actually exists in the first place? It exists because Dr. Fauci and other experts, mm-hmm. including the Surgeon okay. General, not only told us not and to wear them, they not only told us not to sure. wear them, they gave us specific reasons why they don't work. It wasn't just don't buy it, don't do it. It was sure. don't wear it, here's why. Now, we know now that they were lying. They were absolutely lying because they wanted to make sure we had enough PPE for workers. But even then, you should have known, like you see through it, why, did people, why do we need PPE for workers if we don't have to wear a mask and it doesn't work? But that set the tone of distrust. And from that moment forward, when you combine that with the inconsistency of the regulations and the hypocrisy of many of the people putting those regulations in place, that is why there is an anti-mask brigade to begin with. That's why those questions exist. You don't get compliance when you don't explain what you're doing. That's right. Make the case. You got to make the case. Yeah. And he's not made the case. And in, and in fact, it's even worse, much worse than that. When you ask questions, he's calling people in my district who are asking questions for support for his decisions. Asking for support for his decision. He's calling them flat earthers. <laughs> we don't need that. Can't be right. doing that, Governor. Can't right. be doing that. I love it. So I talked in the last episode to uh, your colleague, Representative Savannah Maddox. She's filing a bill that would basically um, not allow anyone to mandate uh, vaccines. Where would you stand right. on something like that? I, I am, and both myself and Savannah Maddox talked about this. We're Neither of us are anti-vaccine at all. Um, I'm a little skeptical right. of this one because I think it takes several years to know whether or not there are side effects to it uh, in the broader population. That's my own personal opinion. I'm neither going to encourage people to take it nor discourage people from taking it. That being said, I will fight and die on the hill of protecting us from an invasive act by government into our bodies. Where do you come down on that? Well, exactly where Savannah Maddox comes down, and I think I, I haven't talked to her about it, but I, but I don't think it should be mandatory. I, I will note that the FDA uh, committee that approved the uh, the Pfizer one was not unanimous. There were four people that voted against it, said mm, it shouldn't be. I didn't know that. Shouldn't be approved. So if, if 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 four people on the committee are looking at this, they know a lot more about it than I do. Right. 
are saying that it's not ready. I'm not saying that I won't take it. I probably will. Not immediately, by the way. Yeah. I'm going to see how many people are twitching beforehand. So to speak. But, <laughs> Somebody but, grows um, a third but, arm but out I'm of the top of their head. <laughs> That's right. And, and I wouldn't qualify really anyway because I'm not in, in the, all those categories of infirmity or, right. or, or age. But uh, So I'm not, in, by any stretch of imagination, an anti-vaxxer, and neither is my family. Um, but I don't think it should be required, and I'm, I'm, I'm a, I watch a lot of a lot of British politics because I think it's just fascinating how the top of the, gov- the head of the government, Boris Johnson, has to stand up and take you know with you just just unbelievably tough questions that he has to answer, and I think it's beautiful. And I right, think I love Parliament, America. <laughs> but anyway, that's right, that's right. But but uh, so so one thing he says is not only should it not be required, it shouldn't be a pa- so uh, you know it shouldn't be a passport to enjoying your civil rights. Right. So I don't want the government to require it, but I also don't want anybody to say, show me your, you know, you got this scarlet letter on you that you've yeah. taken the vaccine or not. Yeah. And, and if you don't, and if you've not taken it, then you can't enjoy public accommodations or you can't, you know, go to school or something like that. I don't want that either. Right. That's and something, so, I'm, you know, we need to leave it up to the people. Right. I'm actually very concerned about that. This is an article I shared on from CNN where they were talking about how everybody who gets the vaccine is going to get a card. And it's going to have the date they got their first dose and when they need their next dose and whether they've had their two doses. And I was like, this is the soft mandate. Because what will happen with the aid of big tech and the media and left-wing politicians, they will will put pressure on businesses to require, you can't come shopping here for shoes unless you have your vaccine card. You can't go... Show me your card. Yeah, you go to Costco. You got to show me your card. Yeah, and it could even spread to, you can't work here unless you get this vaccine. And I can totally see the Twitter mob um, going after people and trying to force compliance to this without ever having any sort of, um, uh, you know, any sort of actual law. So I don't know, maybe there needs to be some protection of those civil rights for people to be able to say, no, I I choose not to. you know, I, I I think that's an important thing that to, to be considered in this. We need a national law, but in the in the interim, I think we Kentucky needs to pass a law, right, along the lines that you're talking about. No doubt about it. Now, I do think, you know, if it's a card that I have in my pocket that I show my doctor, that's great. But I don't. I agree with you. No employer, no public accommodations. But I do think if I work in long term care facilities, it might be it might be. Uh, legitimate there, but it's sure. not. But it's very, very minimal where right. it would be where Maybe, it'd be legitimate. Yeah, well, to the, and I think that's that's a that's a kind of a different bird when you're talking about you're required to work with people who are vulnerable to this versus right just going about our everyday business. I, you know what? I just another not to change the subject, kind of on the same topic, but I find the va- the, the the debate going on right now about who should get the vaccine first very fascinating. Let's let's assume for a second that it actually works perfectly and everybody who gets it is protected from covid let's just play that game for a second who should actually get it first and there's these there's a couple camps that come down there was the new york times did an article that was kind of hilarious where they brought up they had an expert who brought up the issue of race uh and they were like we did we think that younger hard-working you know working class americans should get it first because the elderly are mostly white and wealthy so <laughs> it's like what like i don't even know where that even comes into play why it's even being discussed but the broader discussion was um what if you vaccinated young working uh, people more or first because they're the ones who are exposing the elderly to the virus in the first place because young healthy people tend to not know they have it in larger numbers that's one side the other side is we need to vaccinate the elderly first because they're the most vulnerable and then of course 
before even them, we need to vaccinate first responders. I come down on the first responders, elderly, and then the rest of population. But I still find the debate very fascinating. Yeah, I agree. I, I think I come down the same places that you come down. There are a lot of people who are very smart who thought this through, and so I don't. It's from what I, the little I know, I think they're they're largely getting it right, and so I'll support those decisions. But it, it is. It's a really it's a really important conversation of which you know which categories of people do you value more. Right. Um, the one that would come down with respect to race in any way, I think, is outrageously bad. We should you know not only you know those people shouldn't be listened to that have those kind those types of thoughts. It should be, you know, based on something that makes sense. And, you know, like if, if you're going to say working age and, and you've got the you got a reason for that, that's, you know, that's that should be part of the stream of the conversation. Right. Um, I'm not sure I agree with that, but but that, I, I understand that's that's a, they've got some rationale behind it. Well, I think one of the um, rationales an interesting thing. To, it's an interesting thing to listen to. Yeah. One of the rationales behind the young working class would be that they are the ones that are doing the quote unquote essential jobs. Right. Yeah. And 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 are more exposed to it as well. Um, you know, you think about the people that we we love to to shower shower praise on. And I think deservedly so are the people who are still running our fast food restaurants and the takeout line and running our gro- grocery stores and our gas stations, because God forbid, without them showing up at work every day, how bad off would we really be? That's right. You know, and so there's there's a there's yeah. an argument to be made. For, and they were scared, for too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they were scared too, and Lila, and they didn't get the six hundred dollars federal kicker for unemployment. Yeah, right. To stay home and not work. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, and so they, yeah, so they had to work and continue to pay taxes and not take tax money. Yeah, and uh, you know, so you know, thank goodness for those guys and ladies. It's just that those people are, you know, I don't want I, heroes is overused, but I, I have a tremendous amount of respect for people that are yeah have worked in grocery stores and and so forth and to keep the to keep life life moving along. No you doubt. Know, and I think it's interesting to. Where do you put teachers in the conversation? Right. I mean, I think a similar argument can be made. Let's inoculate our teachers so then they can go back and get our kids in school and, and our teachers will be protected. I, you know, I, I, I put them pretty high on the list because, yeah. um, you know, we, we need the kids to be back in school. It, all, a lot of these harms are to the mental states of our, our children, but, but you know, we have to protect our teachers too. So, you know, I, I put them maybe not nowhere in – nobody should be anywhere near as high as right. people in long-term care facilities or elderly with infirmities. But I think teachers are high on that list. I think the way to handle this ethically is to take every factor off the table except, first of all, we value all life equally. All life is valued equally. doesn't matter what your your background is, what your religion is, what your politics are, what your age is, what your socioeconomic status. Okay, so we value all life equally. If we value... Everybody's equal. Right. If we value all life equally, then we must break it down by who is most vulnerable. Once we've ranked right. that, then um, then I think then that's where you that's that's where you divvy it out. You don't divvy it out because one group of people are more valuable or less value. You divvy it out because they're more or less vulnerable to the virus, and so everyone that's is right. valued equally. Now let's rank it based on who's most vulnerable, and then backtrack it from there. I think that to me is the is the best that, way to handle it. That's right. Yeah, most vulnerable, and then it's all about the the maximizing protection of life, and that's why first responders are very yep. high on the list. It's not yep. because they're themselves within the uh, area of jeopardy; it's because we expect them to go into situations where they don't know what's you know what what is going to be happening, and and they touch a lot of people, and we want them to be um, able to uh, address any situation. And, and the people who work in hospitals, even the twenty five year old nurse, whatever. He or she needs to get it early, not because of themselves, but because we need to make sure that they're they're there to protect 
all of us when we need them. Right. And so it's all about maximization of of uh, of life. Yeah, and it's, it's a fascinating conversation though. I, I I like you said, there's a lot of smart people thinking about it and talking about it, and then there's some dumb ones in the media, but. Um, I, I'm fascinated by that conversation. Again, my personal feelings about this particular vaccine. My dad always taught me not to buy the first model of a brand new car. Like once they come out with a new design, right. you know, he's like, wait until this other fool works out the bugs on that and then get the second year of it. You know, you don't have to be the first adopter. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so I'm kind of right. in that camp. Leland, you're, you're a gun. You're that goes isn't that true across the across the line of, of life? I mean, you're, you're a gun guy, right? Yep. Oh yeah. You know, I love six hours, but I'm I, I wasn't one of the first ones to buy the P365 <laughs> because it was a brand new thing. It was right. a new model, and I was right not to buy one right. because they had some major problems with their striker. But, yeah. So, yeah. So now, uh, you know, second second and third generation. Yep. I think it's good. Same thing for vaccines. Once they get it worked out, like you said, I don't, if if we start seeing zombies, um, <laughs> you know, so I'm preparing for the zombie apocalypse, but I'm hoping for the vaccine to be a miracle drug. That's what I'm hoping. <laughs> For, so anyway all That's right my man it's good to talk to you thanks for going out and getting this data or lack thereof from the governor but the one thing right. i love about your approach is that you aren't um i don't want to say partisan That's not the word i'm looking for you you aren't hateful you aren't mean and you aren't necessarily political in your approach to things you approach things from a data point of view and i just really wish we had a lot more people in leadership that took the approach that you took. I mean, our politics aside, if we can look at data and then make decisions based on that, you know, we're going to make better decisions, as you said earlier. And I just appreciate that about you. Well, I appreciate that, Leland. I'll tell you this, the people that I represent who are, who are dying in long-term care facilities or who are serving people in hospitals or who are running at restaurants or whose kids are home, they don't care if the governor's Republican or Democrat. Right. They don't care if their legislators are Republican or Democrat. They want to get it right, yeah. and that's what I've 100%. been elected to do. And, you know, I'm from the suburbs, and suburbs provide balance to our politics, and that's what I'm, I'm going to be trying to do. Yeah. All right. Uh, Representative Jason Nemus, thanks for your time, buddy. We appreciate you. Anytime. Always fun. Thanks, right. Have a good one. All right. Uh, fascinating conversation. And I that debate about who gets the vaccine first just fascinates me. Again, I, that's where I come down on it is I, all, value, all life is valued equally. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter – what your socioeconomic status is, doesn't matter what your religion, what your politics are, every life is valued equally. If we start from that point of view and then we work back from who is most vulnerable to it, then it becomes very clear who should get it first. Obviously, first responders, because we want that stress relief, that stress taken off of them of dealing with it day in and day out and worried that they're also going to get it. Next, we want the most vulnerable, which is the elderly. And then next, we can take a look at the rest of society and try to decide um, are there particular jobs like those that are working frontline type jobs that force you to come into contact with people like in restaurants, like in stores, et cetera? Do we put them first before offices and so on? Because offices can take other types of mitigation and so on and so forth. That to me seems like the best route to go. But then again, I'm not an expert on that. Um, I found it interesting that the governor didn't want to give specific data, probably because they didn't have it to Jason Nemus. Uh, but good Lord, he is absolutely... Um, he is a bulldog when it comes to getting that information, and I love that about him. So, all right, thanks to you for listening to this podcast. We appreciate our sponsor, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. If you are in the market for new cabinets, new countertops, this is your place. If you're looking for a turnkey kitchen remodel, then I just want you to stop by their showroom and talk to uh, – they've got three designers on staff, Kelly, Michelle, and George – 
They're at 6200 Hit Lane, right there in Louisville, right on the border of Oldham County. So if you're in southern Indiana, Oldham, or uh, Louisville, this is your place. Uh, stop by and check them out. Look at their showroom. They've got tons of really great stuff there to kind of give you ideas, and you can work with their designers. But if you're a contractor or a do-it-yourself or you just need something quick for a quick turnaround project, they've also got high-quality, great cabinets, affordable, in stock, and some laminate uh, countertops they can cut same day. And, of course, any type of surface that you're looking for, granite, quartz, marble, whatever, they can get that done. Solid surface, whatever you need, they can get that done. I only talk about businesses that I support and believe in. Louisville Cabinets and Countertops did our kitchen, and we were very happy with the work they did. And I just love their work ethic. That's the type of crew that they have, and you're going you're gonna to be happy. So give them a call at 502-930-3304 or go to LouisvilleCabinetsandCountertops.com. Big thanks to my uh, producer, Cameron Mills, my producer and, and co-executive producer, Cameron Mills. Uh, he had a birthday last week, so happy birthday to him. He's an old man now. Uh, big thanks to Dynamics Audio Productions in Lexington for their audio help with this program and JP Web Design. Free download at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and iHeartRadio's app. And, of course, you can listen to my daily commentaries every day on WGTK 970 AM, The Answer in Louisville. You can also listen to select episodes of this podcast at 1 o'clock on Saturdays and 11 o'clock on Sundays on, 7, on 970 AM, G WGTK, The Answer. We're super happy about that partnership. So dial us up. Follow me on Twitter at Leland Show and at, Insta uh, on, uh, and at Zone Disruption and on uh, Instagram at Great Lelando and at The Disruption Zone. Thanks for listening. It's The Disruption Zone. <laughs> <laughs>